episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. It's just Dan here again today, but I'm so excited to be joined by Michelle Brazier, comedian, performer, extraordinaire. Hello. Thank you for coming onto the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's lovely. Now, I'm going to have to, you know, refrain from making this entire podcast about Australian epic. Oh, <laughs> because I, I was like, abs- what's this going to be? <laughs> I absolutely loved that show. You did? I've watched it four times over now. Thanks. I'm glad you loved it. We shot it in lockdown. I know. And I talked to um, Andrew Hansen about it recently. Oh, yeah. And he said that it was probably the longest process from script to screen that he had ever been through. Yeah, it was crazy. I think it took him about five, or it took everyone about five years to actually make. It took a really long time. I, yeah. rem- I remember seeing it promoted on the ABC. Yeah. And they, you know, delayed it for an entire year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably, I, I don't know what, what was going on there, but yeah, it took a long time to come out. We thought it was never going to come out and then it came out. So that was nice. <laughs> what What was one of your favorite moments from filming that show? Well, I loved working with the little puppet dogs because I thought they were really cute. Yeah. Um, and I loved, I loved playing the queen of the Danish queen. Yes. That was really fun. I liked the wig. Yeah. Um, but I got a rash from my costume. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. You had a little patter song in that. I did. In that that was the audition well. song yeah. that everyone had to do. Really? Yeah, that was everyone's audition song. And I came into the project a little late. Like um, it was sort of everyone had already done first round auditions mm. and Max Miller, um, who directed it, called, messaged me. I think I was overseas and was like, babe, do you want to do, are you, do you have any interest in this show? And I was like, are you kidding? A musical comedy? <laughs> yeah. TV? Yes, I have interest in this show. And he's like, oh, yeah. okay, well, we're doing callbacks tomorrow. Do you want to just come in? And this is the song. And I was like, this has so many words. This is a crazy thing, but I learned it. And yeah, yeah, it, did, it, did the show. I loved it. And like, I'm a big musical theatre fan as well. Oh, great. So, and to see something like that produced in Australia is very rare as well. Yeah, it is. Well, we're very, we're very scared. We're very risk averse in yeah. Australia with our television because we don't have, we don't get to make much. Mm. So they're very careful, which is really boring and annoying and probably why our television is so ordinary. You, you filmed it in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Did it take, how long did it take, did it slow down the process? No, we didn't have any shutdowns, which was really good. Like no one got COVID, Mm. um, which was, you know, crazy. Um, Up until really recently, they still have been testing on every set I've been on every single day. Um, So it's pretty, you know, we were kept in a pretty tight little bubble. It was just interesting to like be driving to work with a special worker's permit in case we were pulled (laughs) over by the police (laughs) to be like, oh, hi. Like, yeah, it was just a bit weird, but Yeah. yeah, it was good. I remember that year, I think, was the same year Sean McAuliffe did a show without audiences as yes. well, which I thought the show worked a lot better without the audience. Did you? Which is very interesting. Um, we were very depressed. <laughs> we didn't have a good time. Oh, oh that's not necessarily, I, mean, I can't speak for everyone, yeah. but we felt, it felt like the world was ending because we're yeah. used to, on, I'm talking on the Sean McAuliffe show, Yeah. on Mad is how we're used to, um, having that audience, you know, we go and film sketches during the days and then on Tuesday night you get there, the audience comes in and you get to yeah. do all the live ones in front of them and stuff. And it just feels alive. Whereas that season felt really, really eerie, like just an empty studio that's has an audience, but there's no one in the audience, like just all these empty chairs. It was really strange. And also like, yeah. it would be no laughter. Yeah. Like there's no one there to laugh. I just thought the jokes came a lot faster without an audience there when I was watching it at home. Yeah, right. I thought it worked wow. a lot better for me, which is funny. That's good. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. it worked for you. But, yeah, yeah we, I was losing my mind. Um, it made me feel insane. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also really scary and I yeah. felt badly for the crew and, you know, we there was no hand sanitizer. It was during that season we shot was when the hand sanitizer was like, in shortage and you couldn't get any and mm. like you know we needed vodka not vodka what is it alcohol like 100 percent alcohol yeah, for yeah. the for the um prosthetics and stuff like yeah. that so or hair and makeup are all stressed and they're trying to do our hair and makeup and gloves and i just felt so bad for them what what was your sort of entry point into your love of musical theater what was the first musical you remember seeing grace just on telly, just seeing Grease on TV when I was really little and then Sound of Music. And then I went to see, the first musical I ever went to see was Phantom of the Opera and I loved it. I couldn't, mm. I loved the camp of it. Like I, And to yeah. this day I still love a, a musical with a really big cast yeah. that feels 
close closer to a to an opera or yeah. an operetta. Like I it's, really love yeah. Miss Saigon. That kind of just like heaps of harmonies, just yeah. layered and layered. I love that. Yeah, my my entry point into musical theatre was actually John English in the Pirates of Penzance. Oh right, and it was also so you like the Patter song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny enough, it was also my entry point into comedy as well because yeah. I sort of realised, oh, this is what live comedy can be. Yeah, because those productions were very very funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sort of it took off ever since. So my but my sort of style of musical that I like is comedy yeah. as well. It's, What's your favorite musical? Well, Book of Mormon's a very easy one to go go to. It but is. A, uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum is one of my favorites. It's one of your faves. You know, yeah. I've never seen that show. Um but yeah, I love I love musical mm. comedy obviously. I think uh yeah, my favourite musical is probably Book of Mormon as well. Yeah. But also Legally Blonde. Maybe Legally Blonde is my favourite yeah. musical. I remember when Book of Mormon came here, I was one of the people who lined up in the streets overnight oh, to get wow. one of the first tickets. Oh, gosh, really? Yeah. Have you seen Groundhog Day yet? I have not seen Groundhog Day yet, but I saw um, some social media posts mm. um, from yourself included. Yeah. And it looks incredible. Yeah, the premiere yeah. was really exciting. Um, it was a real buzz. They'd mm. have some illusions in the show, which I loved. I love seeing yes. like a magic thing yeah. in, in, in the show, you know, how you with Harry Potter and stuff. Yeah. Um, I love seeing those kinds of really big set weird pieces that are really cool and that was also very quaint. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I also love Come From Away. What other musicals do oh, I love? Great. Yeah, Come From Away is great. They, oh, Newsies is another one of my favourite ones, Newsies. which I saw in New York. Wow. That's just great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't remember much of New, Newsies. I had to do some at musical theatre school and I, as a result I've blocked it out. Yeah. <laughs> So what was musical theatre school then? What What is musical theatre school? What is musical theatre school? If you don't, yeah, for people who have not been to musical theatre school, um, it's like, I mean, it's university in mm. theory, but your typical day is like, for me, it was like you get there early and you like do boot camp yeah. for fitness and then you do maybe ballet for two hours and then you do acting for two hours and then you do I don't know like a group like ensemble Mm. numbers and then you do singing for an hour like it's like you're there from like 8 a.m till 6 p.m yeah and at night you're expected to rehearse Mm. and that it's not like you have free periods like at normal uni or like you have different people in different classes like most there's like 30 people in your entire year Mm. and you become very close and sort of um, incestuous, I would say, <laughs> you know, because you're just rolling yeah. around on the floor a lot together. Yeah. Like there's no, there's that we had one class where we had to write essays. Yeah. But that was it. Really? Mm. That's interesting. I mean, is musical theatre, is it still remain like a really important part of your life? Because you do incorporate incorporate sort of musical yeah. interludes in your shows. Yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah. I, I love musicals and, it, you know, if it was Something the right. Something that the soul, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, really like, good for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, it's good to sing. feels mm. good and it feels good for people. Um, yeah, I love it. I really love it and I think I'll keep doing it. If the right role came along, I would I would take it. It's just hard to yeah. commit to such long contracts because oh, musical yeah. theatre contracts are usually really long. <laughs> like yeah. it means you can't do anything else for like maybe a year. So that that means no tv no yeah. you know it kind of yeah, feels it, like yeah you it's your entire life isn't yeah, it yeah yeah you're doing eight shows a week like it, it's pretty um people don't really think of it in this way but it is a very athletic profession yes like it's very tiring and you'd be living out of suitcases for probably yes a few you know probably a couple of years yeah. yeah i mean in this business i think you get used to living out of suitcases a bit anyway like it's a real push and pull between yeah. home and and work like mm. yeah it's just hard I mean I'm going to America in a few weeks and then I'll come back I'll go to the UK for a UK tour I'll come back I'll go to the UK again yeah. um do an Edinburgh Fringe and come back and like launch a book so it's like the entire year is already really busy and a lot yeah. of it's in a suitcase but I'm just trying to make it as functional as I can do you get homesick when you're doing I, that sort of I stuff? do yeah, yeah I miss a Melbourne coffee and I miss my dog that's the yes, worst thing yeah. so like if I'm working in a different city in Australia I take her with mm. me um and I thank god like my partner's in all my shows which is amazing yeah. so he comes with me mm. but um yeah like going overseas we, 
it just really miss her. Just really, really miss having yeah. her and 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 feel bad for leaving her as well. Yeah. Well, I think when people, um, you know, get dogs, they sort of don't realise what a commitment that is. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. And yeah. it is very sad. It's like leaving, you know kids at home yeah well I mean we don't have kids yeah. and we're not going to have kids so she is our daughter like and that's why we take her at every city mm. and yeah it's just a shame that you can't travel with pets internationally in a way that's comfortable and easy for them I mean you could do it the Johnny Depp way if you yeah. had the money <laughs> <In a> private, <laughs> private yeah, jet. yeah yeah <laughs> um do you sort of um do you feel like you could take on a big musical theater role um if, you know, if it was right for you, what would it be? If it was right for me, what would it be? Yeah. Um, I I love Paulette in Legally mm-hmm. Blonde. I did, I played Elle and I yeah. loved playing Elle. I mean, I would play Elle in a heartbeat, but like I'm in my 30s now. Yeah. We don't really need, I don't really need to play Elle. Like I think Paulette would be a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, I'd play Miss Honey in Matilda. Um. I'd fuck. I'd love to play the trunchbull. I mean, physically, I'm great. wrong for it. I'm, you yeah. know, it's traditionally been played by a large man, but um, I'd love to do that. I'd love to fucking play Jean Valjean. I'd love it. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to play Tenardier. Yes. Or Madame Tenardier, but Tenardier, I yeah. would prefer. Um, did you see Trevor Ashley in that role? I did not. Oh, no, I didn't. Incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, something like that. I yeah. I would love. Um, just something big and camp and and fun. Regina George in Mean Girls is a great yes. role. Yeah, something something iconic. It would have to be quite. Mm. It would have to be quite the uh, the role. I think. What excites you about musical theatre when you're there? Harmonies. 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 Yeah. Big set like everyone's singing like five part harmony. Just everyone going for it. I love that. Or I love mm. like seeing a really great um, dance routine and like more contemporary musicals that you mm-hmm. get and see. Like I God, what was it that I loved? I, Cruel Intentions, the musical, yeah. was so camp and so silly and I saw it sort of at the end of its season, I think. Mm. So it sort of knew what it was and it was like, we're not trying to take this too seriously. We are just here for nostalgia. It's a bit silly. It's a bit funny. Let's go. And the choreography was stunning and Kirby Burgess, I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with Kirby, but every time you see her on stage, I can't take my eyes off her. Yeah. She's an incredible dancer. It was just really great to watch that and mm. just be like, fuck yeah, let's go. Like yeah. I like, I love a big choreographed moment. I love a big... I just love the big the bigness of it. Yeah. I really love that. One of the reasons I moved to Melbourne, so I'm originally from uh, Canberra. Oh, right, the yeah, nation's capital. Yeah, I, I came to Melbourne for musicals wow. or, or theatre and, yeah. and comedy. Oh, that's Those great. Those are the two big reasons I came here. It was like, a great city for that. Like, I didn't even realise what the comedy festival actually was. Yeah, right. Before I came here. I didn't realise there'd be hundreds and hundreds of shows in the comedy festival what I thought the comedy festival was the gala was, was the gala that yeah. you saw on TV. Yeah, we all thought it was the gala yeah. growing up. I think that's pretty normal. When did you start sort of um, delving into solo shows? I did a solo show, so I ha- I was in a duo, a comedy duo that became a four piece mm. um, called Backwards Anorak, and I was I, I left uni when I was like twenty. I don't know, 21 or something, and then we started Backwards Anorak just as a way to keep doing shows yeah you know when while auditioning and working in retail and stuff we were just like you know trying to get on stage so we just started writing Mm -hmm. shows and then um I think about two years into that I did a gig with someone from a popular comedy group that I had loved when I was a kid and I, it was just them just by themselves and I was we were on the lineup with them our sketch group and at Adelaide Fringe and their name was announced and the audience didn't recognize them and I went, fuck, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. It's important. Branding is important. Yeah. And I remember John Stevens, the late John Stevens, who was an Australian television writer, he had sort of taken, he was a family friend of the person I was in a duo with, Vince Malazzi, and he took us under his wing a bit and um, he always told us, you have to put your names on, on the poster. You have to put your names on everything. And mm. I was always like, I don't know what he's talking about. And then I went to that and I went, I see what he's talking about. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just went, okay, I'm going to have to build a brand. I also wanted to do something that was a bit more earnest. 
um, because all the stuff I was doing was very like, I don't know if you're familiar with Hot Department, but it was very much oh, yes, like that. I am, yeah. Like yeah. we were very, like mm-hmm. we would make out at the end of every show. We were very gross, mm-hmm. um, really funny, but like no, yeah. not really much room for like storytelling. Yeah. I was kind of, I wanted to dip my feet into what has now become a Michelle Brazier show, I guess, which mm-hmm. is very like storytelling cabaret, yeah. personal stories. Um and I, I wrote this show. I, I reached out to the Gilda Balloon, which is one of the biggest venues yes. in Edinburgh Fringe. Yep. And I reached out to them because they'd, they'd been very lovely to me in the past. And I said, hey, I think I want to do a solo show. I know it's close. And we were coming over to do a group show anyway. I know it's close to the date. Can I, Do you have any room? Mm-hmm. And they said, we've got quarter past midnight in a 40-seater at the top of the castle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. They were like, we won't charge you for it you can just come and do it. And I was mm. like, awesome. Quarter past midnight. Sounds great. I'll ride it on the plane. I wrote it on the plane. I wrote a show called Space Tortoise about a tortoise who wants to go to space um, to that. show her dad how, yeah. how tall she's gotten. Her dad's a cosmonaut um, and also a tortoise, obviously. Um, Horsefield is like the yeah. – it's based on a famous the, – the first tortoise to go to space. Um, I don't know why I wanted to write about him, but of course, mm. you know. So I wrote that and I did that over there and I just had a great time. Yeah. I just really enjoyed it. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is fun. Mm. This is lovely. Like, I don't know. I I, uh, I love like cringe, that really sort of earnest cringe, yeah. sweet character. Yeah. Like that's always been something that I've had in my back pocket. And so that's kind of what that was. Um, and then I wrote Average Bear over a year or so just before COVID and then COVID hit mm. and um, I did it in 2021 yeah. um, and everyone just was like, oh, this is who you are. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Was that a hard show to write, Average Bear? No, it was so easy. Really? It was so easy to write Average Bear because it was, it had come to me. I mean, it, you know, it's all true. Yes. And when you're writing a true story and you've told that story that's happened mm. to you so many times, you know, mm. I'd done storytelling nights at Giant Dwarf, um, uh, in Sydney and I'd, I'd done like versions, actually the tech who designed all the tech, Ali, she designed and she worked at Comedy Republic and she just did Average Bear at Sydney Theatre Company for yeah. Sydney Festival with strings. She still came and did the lighting and tech design, yeah. but she was there teching the room when I did a 10 minute storytelling show. Yeah. Um, and the first time I ever told the story of like my burns and my brother and my father and the things that happened to me. So I sort of had, I told the story a few times in, you know, different ways. And I had different songs that I'd written, like some comedy songs that I'd written for the Auntie Donna tour that we did um, when we did an album tour. Um, And I was like, okay, I can put these together. And it was literally just, I had all the puzzle pieces. Like usually you start a show and you have a few puzzle pieces and a a bunch of ideas. You have to assemble them. Whereas this was like all the puzzle pieces were right in front of me. And I just had to slot them in yeah. and I worked with one of my best friends on that, Gillian Cosgriff, and she's really smart with that yeah. and, yeah, it was just... Uh, so it was already a fully formed show? Well, I mean, you know, nothing comes to you fully formed, mm-hmm. but it, it just was easy to put put into place. Yeah. It just, it, it knew itself, I think. It, I mean, there was, I, I was trying to write two shows. I was trying to write a show about a bear who's afraid to go into hibernation um, and then every time I tried to write that show, I was like, oh, this is that show, that this is that personal story. Yeah. Um, because it was just, you know, such a big metaphor for it. And I was like, okay, this is not two shows. This is this is one show. And then just trying to smash them together, mm. I think, was the hardest bit. But I had the bear had a whole storyline in the original mm. version. Does that get a um, – is it hard to perform a show like that because it is so personal? If you do it, you know, night after night, week after week, does it – is it heavy to perform a show like that? No, it's not. And I think it's because I'm an actor, mm. you know – I, I make fun of acting school a lot, but it is important and I think you can tell the comedians who've gone and the comedians who haven't gone because, mm. you know, we a lot of us want to do acting roles on telly yeah. and sometimes you get one and you can see when people have not been trained and it's like, Yo, no, you fucked this, you should yeah. have got the training. Yeah. People don't realise that acting is a skill yes. <laughs> and not just like even just the acting of it, like the, the skill of being in front of a camera, knowing when there's a wide shot, you have to like, if you pick up a glass and drink from it, you're going to have to pick up and drink from it in the mid shot. Yeah. And then in your close up, like just practical things that yeah. I sort of forget anyway, that I forget that I, I take for granted, I think yeah. for having been trained for, but ultimately like I know how to be on stage and I, I don't think mm. you should tell, a store, a personal story that's going to upset you. Yeah. 
like if, if you can tell that story and control how the audience feel, that's great. But if, if you're on stage and you're telling that story and the audience is looking at you, they're worried about you, then that you're not ready to tell that yeah. story. And I've seen so many people get up and tell stories and, you know, they're telling personal stories and they're beautiful and they break down and cry. And I'm like, this is not sustainable. Yeah, This is not, A, this is not sustainable. And B, the audience is not always going to be comfortable with you crying. Mm. Like I just think it's a bit of a cop out. Um, and it's not on purpose. I don't think it's on yeah. purpose. I think it's just something that happens when you, you haven't had this, these discussions at uni or whatever about mm. it is that, um, yeah, you, you sort of exchange your emotions for applause. And I just don't know, I don't think it's sustainable and people will say, you know, it's raw and it's whatever, but I think there's a way to actually make that that's, that's much more professional and that's not going to yeah. take its toll on your, your vocal folds and th- things like that. Yeah. Because it is a show about loss and people have, you know, become comfortable coming up to you after shows and expressing their experiences. Yeah. What is that like for you? That is that is the most emotional part of it for yeah. me. Like I love that. I, I really love talking to people after the show. I've just written a book and in the writing the book I was like, oh, it's so hard because people aren't going to be able to like talk to me after they've read the book. Like how are they going to get in touch? And, um, you know, people get lost in my DMs and I, I try to like st- – I try to be there for people who've yeah. seen my work and it, it's really hard. You can't be there yeah, for everyone course, and, yeah. you know, people get filtered away. And, um, but I, yeah, I'm really like, I'm thinking, I think I'm going to use a hashtag for the book or something so that people can like share their stories. Cause yeah. I, I just want to hear from people. I, I think it's so nice when I've just shared with them for an hour that they get to come up to me and like tell me their story and people come up and they've, you know, they're dying from cancer mm. and they, they've found value in my story. And I don't know, it's, it's really generous. People are just so just so generous and mm. I forget because I am doing you know I am an actor and I'm telling this story every night mm. it's a story I tell and you know when you get to a point where you're like yeah. t- it's a story that you tell it's yeah. just one of those stories you tell I forget that it's true yeah and that it happened to me because it's a script and you get lost in the performance of it. yeah I'm just yes. doing my job yeah. you know yeah. I'm just at work and then I get off the stage and I talk to these people and I go oh god and I feel kind of like a fraud yeah. when they tell me their story I'm like oh god like I've just done this show about this and it's brought up mm. this for you and I'm like no wait that's it's actually true yeah. you know but I I I do forget I forget that it's real and I forget mm. that it's attached to like people I really have lost there's a bit in the show where I sing the parting glass and I in that show I let myself um do a like I, I get a bit close to yeah. the subject matter, I suppose. Like I think about my brother in that song. But apart from that, I just try to be focused on what I can give the audience rather than like catharsis, you know. Yeah. It's, people should pay for therapy. Like people shouldn't pay to watch me <laughs> use yeah. them for therapy. Death and, death and grief can be a very hard thing to to talk about. And I think what you did was sort of provide this sort of safe space for people to actually you know think about it more and oh, be able to thanks. be comfortable to talk to you afterwards about it as well I hope so I think yeah. I've always made people feel pretty comfy like I think yeah, yeah I, tr- I try to make people feel mm. like they can talk about stuff mm. you know I don't I don't like that death is like this taboo I think it's really silly it's gonna happen to mm. literally everyone yeah so I don't see the point in being shy about it. Why do you think it's taboo? Why do you think it's a taboo? Oh, you know, it's a great question. I think we're, well, we don't want to think about it being real. Like we don't yeah. want to think that it's going to happen to us. Yeah. And so I think that is part of it. Like I think yeah. part of it is just like if you don't talk about it, it's not real. And that's very Western. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's very it's very British to just yeah. keep calm, carry on, yes. don't think about it, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's a hangover from from colonization to be completely honest I think it's that like it's just it's it's a cultural thing that we just you can't joke about it you can't laugh about it you you don't talk about it you don't look at it mm. um and I think that's a huge mistake well I think if people actually stopped and questioned um or you know thought about death they would start to question why why do we get so caught up in these silly little things that don't yeah. don't matter yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's the perspective that it offers. I mean, grief is grief is really helpful in a lot mm. of ways. Um, and we don't want to look that in the eye. You know, yeah. we don't want to say, oh, there are some good things about grief or there are some, you know, benefits from having lost something. Yeah. Um, but I, you can tell even like from actors, like whenever I see an actor on stage, 
You can, you can tell, you can smell it a mile off when they've never lost anything. You can just be like, you've never lost a fucking thing in your damn life. I don't care how good of an actor you are. You just don't know what this is. You just don't know this feeling and you just don't have the, I don't know. There's like, there is a, there is a weight that comes with it, but I think it, it gives you stuff too. It it takes a lot, but it gives, Mm. it gives, it does. Yeah. So you would have had a safety net of, you know, a proper job before you got into comedy full time. <laughs> would that be correct in assuming that? Um, I don't know if you'd call it a safety net. I mean, I had retail jobs. Yeah. Um, but surely you have to sort of take a risk to cut out that sort of nine to five before you go down the sort of full time comedy route. Yeah. I, I quit my day job when I got mad as hell. Yeah, yeah. That was when yeah, I right. quit. Yeah. That was when I was like, well, I don't have any time to do this day job, so I won't have this day job anymore, um, which was exciting. Yeah. Uh, but it was also like scary. Although I'd only had a day job for a few months because before that I'd been touring. Because I'm a singer as well, like I was doing these corporate, um, not corporate, but like, you know, casino shows like yeah. um California Dreaming, the songs of the mamas and papas and like songs of Carol King at the art center and things like that. Like these, um, you know, pretty well-paid tours of Australia. Um, so I did those for a few years and then I got a job at (laughs) my, my beautiful friend, Sophie gave me a job at a tech startup. And my job was like, um, some sort of customer service job, but like, I didn't understand the job and I didn't know what I was meant to do, but Mm. it was like cool tech startup. So I just went for coffees and like hung out with dogs and like played pool all day. And no one, I think I was, I was like the definition of a personality hire. And Mm. I loved that job, even though I didn't do anything and I didn't know what my actual job was. And then I, um, I got mad as hell and I, I left and then I, then there was a pandemic and and I <laughs> sat in my house for a while and then um, I came back and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't need, I just didn't need to get a day job. I just I had enough um, acting work. Mm. So, a lot yeah. of the people I've had on the, or some of the people I've had on, the, on this podcast haven't sort of gained that sort of success yet. Yeah. So they sort of, they know that they're sort of being, you know, tied down with this sort of security of the yeah. nine to five but something has to give if, you know, if they want to pursue being a full-time DJ, for instance, yeah, they know they have to sort of cut that sort of security out of their life. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. really comes down to your values. And if you value financial security, mm. you, if that's your highest value, yeah. then great, get a different job. And if you want to work in the arts, like maybe working towards like working at one of the institutions, like try and get a great yeah. job at like, um, Melbourne Theatre Company or something like there's some incredible creative jobs you can have, but yeah. like you have to aim for those. Yeah. You have to be smart and aim for those jobs that are a bit more secure because mm. if you just want to be a creative, like making your own work and not bound to anything, yeah. like you, you just can't, it's just not a guarantee. Like, I mean, I've been working in TV for years, but like, I don't know if that will always be the case. Mm. Like one day it might just all go away. Yeah. So it is really hard and I think that's where class becomes a problem because if you're from a lot of money, you can take that kind of risk. Yeah. And you see a lot of like lawyers um, just quit their job and become comedians and they're mm. like, I've given it all up. And it's like, yeah, but you can still be a lawyer because yeah. y- you could go back to law. Yeah. There are so many of us here who would go back and work at Coles. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with working at Coles, but it's like your backup is so comfortable. Yeah. We have risked it all and gone, if this doesn't work, I will be on, you know, minimum wage for the rest of my life. And I'm willing to do that because I think it's worth the risk and because I back myself. It's really hard. Mm. And, you know, yeah, I've got friends who I see struggle with it all the time and just go round and round in circles and they feel crazy. And I think people feel shame for having a day job, which is insane. What is that? Why why do people feel that way? Uh, Again, I think it's class. I think it's a class issue. I think, you know, um, and I totally get it. I mean, my partner, Mm. Tim, he, um, he works like freelance with this like sound engineer guy and he sometimes helps out um, our friend who's a chef and like, he's just sort of working freelance stuff. But before that, and he obviously does shows with me and with other people Mm. as a musician and actor. But before that, he was working in a suit shop and we had just done this feature film because he he was in it as well. That was um, Damo Callanan's feature film, The Merger. Yes. 
and um, this guy came in and Tim was like suiting, like um, fitting him for a suit and he was a footy player and he'd seen the movie. It's about footy players. He'd seen the movie and he was like, oh, you're in that movie. And he was like, fuck, this is so like, (laughs) it's just uncomfortable. You feel ashamed. I remember coming back, I did um, my first Edinburgh, we got to do a sketch for the BBC Mm. and I was like, the fucking BBC, are you kidding? Mm. Like, you know, it feels huge. Obviously it's like over there. probably just feels like ABC, but like, yeah. which is amazing. Also, I remember the first time I did things for ABC, I was yeah. like, oh my God, the ABC. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I was like tiny little baby and I was so mm. excited. I did sketch for BBC and I was like, on British TV. And then a week later, I was back working at Dottie on Swanston Street selling, yeah. you know, t shirts. And I was like, uh, this. You know, you just get told when you can go to the toilet. Yeah. And it's hard because in this job as well, you people look after you so much. And I get it. Like it's it kind of is important because you need to be able to like conserve your energy. But it means that you don't get your own coffees. Like people bring you food, people bring you coffee, people carry your shoes because, you know, you can, probably can't walk in those shoes that you're about to shoot in. So, like, yeah. they give you Ugg boots. You wear Ugg boots around set. Somebody else carries the shoes because you can't be, you know, you might lo- lose them. Somebody gives you your jacket as soon as they call cut. Like, you are a princess. People pick you up and take you to work and take you home. And yeah. so you're doing that kind of thing. And then to be thrust back into, like, you can't just go to the toilet whenever you want. Yeah. Like you have to check with the manager and did you ask if they wanted a, you know, a wash bag with that delicate top? Like it can, it can be, it it messes with your ego, Mm. um, which is so dangerous. Yes. Yes. I completely understand because so Harmon and I started this podcast a year ago, Mm -hmm. um, thereabouts, and we used to work together um, in a warehouse Oh, wow. And we sort of turned to each other one day and just said, hey, do you want to start a podcast? So I did some research. I'm like, oh, here's a studio that operates on weekends because mm-hmm. the only time we can do it are on weekends because we have a nine to five. Yeah. But over the course of the last year when we sort of, you know, did podcasts on weekends and then would go back to our nine to fives, it felt so demeaning. Like why are we here working in a in yeah. a warehouse, even though people around us and our manager, who was the best, who was so supportive, and he would always ask, "Who'd you have on the podcast this weekend, boys?" Like yeah. he, that sort of it got to the point after that after the last year that we've sort of turned to each other and said, "Let's just quit and lean into our wow. sort of creative, you know, endeavors more so." So yeah. Harmon's a photographer, so he's been leaning into that more, and mm-hmm. I've been leaning into my writing a little bit more. Oh, that's so nice. So, but now we've sort of entered, very recently entered this void of sort of unemployment and just sort of because we sort of felt, we got to the point where it did sort of feel demeaning, like why are we... Why are we doing this? Yeah, which is a it's a trap. Yeah, I it mean, is a trap. Yeah, it's a strange feeling, mm. but it does free you when you have so much time. When you have to create, yeah. When you have to create to make money, you will create. Yes. When you don't, you won't. Yeah. You just won't. You will when when your day job takes all of your energy and you're just sapped mm. at the end of the day. It's really hard to write and yeah. to make things yes. and to find time. So it's this incredibly delicate balance and it's it's really, really hard. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, mm. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think the yeah. answer is honestly funding for artists mm. so that we can have good art. You yeah. know, in some European countries they do stuff like that yeah. and I think universal minimum wage would be a mm. fucking great place to mm. start. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a weird... It's a weird pursuit and, it, and it, it messes with your ego. Yeah. And there's like, you know, if you enjoyed that job, like... That's a great job. It's just it's just that it takes yeah. so much energy. Yeah. Well, th- here's the thing. It wasn't a horrible job or anything. We yeah. we enjoyed working there. We enjoyed the people yeah. that we were working with. But at a certain point, we were sort of too probably too comfortable, got to a point where we were too comfortable. Yeah, right. Where we thought, oh, we're going to be sort of trapped, entrapped in this sort of world for the rest of our lives, yeah. even, even though we're doing this sort of cool thing on the side. But now we're, we're sort of at that point where we're like, oh, did we make the wrong wrong choice or yeah. or not? You know, it's, it's well, you weird. can always go back. That's yeah, the other thing because yeah. there's no there's no reason why you can't go back and then yeah. come again. You know, and I always think that like I think, well, fuck, if I don't book anything for like six months, I would probably just try to get a job in like a bookshop or something, and that would be yeah. quite nice. Yeah, like, yeah, I like that. That sounds nice. You yeah. know, there's no. I think people should talk about their day jobs more. Mm. Um, but they. 
people don't because they think it's embarrassing. And I think the more that we talk about it, the better it is. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a day job, so I can't be I can't yeah. be a shining beacon of <laughs> um, of an example. But you know, when I have one, you'll hear about it. Yeah, uh, when we so when we started the podcast, Harmon would always I would when we introduced ourselves to people and mm. guests that would come in, we would say we worked in a warehouse, and Harmon would always say just just. Keep it as vague as possible. Call it logistics. We work in logistics. Ah, it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> branding exercise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, sort of. Do you feel like you have to sort of stay in a constant state of creating? Um, I don't feel like I have to, but I mm. just, I well, I sort of just always, I just always have been. Yeah. Like I'm always. That's what I do every day. Yeah. You know, I'm just always going, anything that happens, I'm like, what's in that? Is there something yeah. in that? You know, I've just written a book. So that's been, that was like, yeah. you know, looking for, to romanticize any encounter or anything I see, you know, just really, really interested in things. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have any days off. Like I don't yeah. have t- like mm. time off, which is probably, not great, but I also have this incredible team behind me. Like yeah. I have my management and I have a publicist and I have all these people who sort of will tell me where to go and where to be and organise things for me. Like I don't have to, you know, there's a lot of work that I don't have to do that independent artists do have to do. Yeah. Um, that I have done. Like I've yeah. done my fucking hours. Yeah. Um, and I'm, but I couldn't, there's no way I could keep it all up yeah. in the air now with the, what I'm expected to deliver and deadlines and things. There's just no way. Mm. What? What's the biggest risk do you think you've made in your career? Oh. Or have you have you have you made a risk yet? Um the biggest risk. Yeah. What kind of risk? Like Yeah, I mean, I, I'm there's a lot of different types of risk. Financial risk, probably choosing to do this, but I always yeah. there was never any there was never any doubt. Mm. I didn't study. I've never studied. Yeah. I didn't study in high school at all um, because I was like, I, d- I, d- I don't need this. This mm. is not what I'm going to do. That's like, what the- I felt like <laughs> yeah, right. high school yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah, I was just always like, mm. I, like I liked school yeah. and I liked learning, but I was like, what's the point? Like yeah. I, d- I don't care about my marks because mm. as long as I get good enough marks to get into acting school, that's fine. And that was like 75 or something like that. It was like mm. quite like, you know, reasonable. But anyway, I just... I, it doesn't feel like a risk. It just feels like there's no chance, like there's no thing. I mean, the biggest risk, honestly, like recently I had to turn down a really big fucking cool project um, in order to back myself and do my own show. There was like a scheduling conflict um, and I'm doing my own show off-Broadway. I'm doing Average Beer off-Broadway. Nice. And um, I got this really great opportunity mm. and I couldn't go for it because I, yeah, yeah, I've just had to go. I, I'm not going to cancel the show. Yeah, I'm going to do average bear because I believe big things, bigger things can come from it. Um, but God, I wish I could do both. You know, there's things like that that come up all the time. It can be really hard, um, to, to prioritize like what you actually want to do. It can be really difficult. You, 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 um, do your shows with, um, Tim. Yes. And you've, You've also worked in groups like, you know, Auntie Donna. Mm. Do you feel who would you be like without that sort of support around you? Do you feel like you could be able to go go up there by yourself? Oh, yeah. Do you, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get on stage by myself at any yeah. point. Yeah. If there's a stage, I'm up there. Like yeah. if there's a microphone, give it to me. I mm. have always loved attention. I was a nightmare of a child. Yeah, I don't have stage fright or anything like that, and I don't need people around. Um, I'm so envious because <laughs> I did I did stand up comedy for about a year. Oh, you and did? I was absolutely terrified, right? Getting, right, because you're so vulnerable as well. You're up there by yourself. I mean, but you, no one's going to yeah. kill you. No, like, I know. <laughs> no, you but, just the worst yeah. thing they're going to do is not laugh. I, I'd get I'd get horrible stage fright, but when I but I did sort of improv as mm. well with with groups of people, and I was so much more comfortable. Yeah, that helps in groups of people. Yeah, totally. It's so odd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I understand that. I think it's just like I don't know. I I just know it so so well now that yeah. it's just one of the places that my friend um, Eve once said to me that watching me on stage is like watching someone speak their native tongue. Like mm. it's just like oh, this is just where you are. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true. Like I feel better there maybe than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but that said, like 
the support of of Tim is incredible. The support the support of Donna, those boys, like it's a you know mm. it. No, it's not really, but it, for a long time it was a very male-dominated industry and, you know, it's only really recently that it's not. And we – they they grabbed me from, you know, just from uni, just grabbed me and were like, hey, she's funny, everyone, look. Um, and I really appreciate that because they didn't need to do that and they were young boys and they didn't need – they just didn't need to do that, but they've done that and I think that was really nice. Yeah. Do, do you embrace silliness? Yeah, of course. The silliness yeah. is the most important thing in the world. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's really important yeah. in life and in work. It's like it's this it's the greatest savior that you have. It's just being silly. And that's why I think it's important that we be silly at funerals. It's I, I just one of my favorite shows at the comedy festival last year was Gary Starr. Oh yeah, I love him. And I just loved Demo's it. Beautiful. Just loved it so much because it was just a silly clown. Show. Yeah. yeah. Clown. Do, yeah. yeah. Do you know much about clown? No, no, but we had get, we had Damien yeah. on, on the podcast, and he did tell us a little bit about his, oh, great. his uh, time at clown school. Yeah, nice. Yeah. We've got some great clowns. I mean, Zoe Kimsmeyer yeah. is a clown. Yeah. Um, what I did not realize is it was an actual, actual course for it. Like, yeah, you can go and learn it. Yeah, it's an art. Yeah. I mean, I would say that Auntie Donna is clowning as yeah. well. Um, you know, there's archetypes and mm. certain different. You know, it's just. There's a lot of things that are clowning that we don't realise. Sean McAuliffe is a clown. Yeah. I'm a clown. Um, a clown with a law degree. Sam I Campbell. Think, as well, Sean. Oh, yeah. Sean's one of those. <laughs> Sean, Sean's one of those <laughs> clever boys. <laughs> do, do you, um, what do you miss about um, working in on Mad as Hell? Oh, gosh. Probably the hair and makeup, like just all yeah. the wigs and stuff. Karchi, who designs it all, he's yeah. incredible. Um, but also just, I mean, working with Sean's always really interesting and that whole cast is really great. I miss working with Christy. I love love mm. working with Christy and um, Emily and, you know, or just all of them really. Tosh is really great. And we had Francis Greenslade Fra- on the show. Francis yeah. is so generous. Great. Oh, such a nice man, yeah. Just so lovely. Like, yeah, they were all just so mm. warm. To, to walk into a family that was so fully formed yeah. and for them to just embrace me was so kind. And they really got behind me. Um, so yeah, I miss that. I miss like going to work. You know, like the was it collaborative? Was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. it was. Which is really nice. You yeah. could always make offers. And I mean, the writers are so great, and they're so great at writing for Sean's mm. um, voice. And you know, obviously, he's so specific with what with what he wants. But within once you get that, he's like he'll let you run. Yeah, because um, he's smart. Yeah. You know, he just keeps funny people around him and he lets them, he gives them a really good playground and sets them up to play. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I miss like, I miss all the characters. Yeah. Just like yeah. turning up to work and being like, who's, who's this character? Like, what is yeah. this? What does she look like? And getting a script for a character being like, I don't understand this. And then sitting in the chair for an hour, getting prosthetics, looking at yourself and being like, okay, this is who she is then. <laughs> like just, um, yeah, experimenting with all the different characters and stuff is was really fun. Who, who, who do you go and see when you, um, you know, if you're at the comedy festival, who do you go and see? Oh, I mean, it, I go and see, like, I have got a lot of friends, so yeah. I always go and see my friends. I always try to see Zoe Coombsmar. Yeah. I think Zoe's a genius. Um, and people like Damien, you know, Gary Starr, people who are silly. This year I'm really looking forward to Julia Masley mm. and Rob Orton. Um, Lara Ricotte, I saw a, a work in progress. She's a friend of mine. And, um, yeah, I saw a work in progress of her show in Edinburgh and it was lovely. Yeah. Um, and it was really sc- scrappy, so I'm sure it will be really different now. Um, who else am I looking forward to seeing? I can't wait to see Ben Russell's show this year. I think it's going to be incredible. He tackles his sobriety in that show, I believe. Yeah, yeah I think it's some yeah. some heavy-hitting topics yeah. in Ben's show this year and he's just... Very, very un-Ben Russell-like from what I understand. Well, I mean, yeah, the Ben we're used <laughs> yeah. to seeing on stage, but yeah. as a friend of Ben's, I think it's going to be quite a... Um, I think it would be really amazing to watch people get to know Ben mm. because he is... He's fucking magnificent. And so is Maggie, his, you know, partner, his yeah. wife and, and writing partner. So, oh, Greg Larson, always yes, Greg Larson. Course, yeah. Again, a clown, character actor, beautiful. Yeah. I love Greg, just one of the mm. softest, gentlest, most beautiful boys. Ben and I are doing um, comedians auditioning for musicals again, which nice. will be fun. And, um, yeah, everyone. I mean, God, this it's so <laughs> it's so hard. Mish Wittrip, every year yeah. she shocks me. She's, you know, one of my best friends and... Yeah. She always shocks me with how far she's come in a year and how good she is. And, yeah, I'm just really 
I think it'll be good. Says is do you know Says? No, I can't remember what so. um what their last name is, but like says comedy on Instagram. I started following them and I thought they were really, really funny. And anyway, it turns out they're doing like their debut comedy show this year. So I'm really keen to see that. Yeah. I yeah. think usually like story I go to storytelling. Like yeah. if Stuart Bowden is around, I always go and see Stuart Bowden or just like anyone who's like doing something weird and kind of sad. Mm. Um Weirdos and, and and sad people. I don't really go in for like straight stand up. I don't really love that, even though it's an mm. incredible skill. And you know, it's it, not to um, in, not to disparage in any way. It's just not my favorite yeah. type. Um, probably because I'm shit at it. <laughs> so and so, yeah. I don't love it as much because I don't enjoy it as much. I see on average probably about forty shows a year. And I always make sure I sort of balance it out with seeing people that I, I know mm. and already love and then also seeing people I've never heard of. That's which great. Is the best. Yeah. Because you sort of never realise what those people end up yeah. doing because I remember seeing Dilruck for the very first time like 12 years ago now. Oh, and wow. And just seeing him year after year after year. Yeah. And just seeing how how much people grow over mm. over time is just something really special about that. Yeah. Have you seen Mel and Sam? No, I haven't. Oh, no. you'd love Mel and Sam, the musical. No, They're haven't. great. You'll love them. I should. They're so silly. You've seen Gillian Cosgrove? Yes, of course. Yeah, yes. Good, good, her good. show last year was amazing. Yeah, Incredible. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't believe she was in Harry Potter. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 For years. I know. For like four years. I don't know. For long for ages. I don't yeah. know how many years, but yeah. Yeah. She can do it all. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. do, do you embrace friendships um, in comedy? Yeah. I mean, is I that think important it, to you? Yeah, yeah. I think it has to be because you travel together. I also think there's just something about being in the trenches of a festival mm. together. Like Gillian and I feel like sisters. Like we live together through Edinburgh fringes. Mm. You know, we've really, <laughs> we've yeah. really spent a lot of time. And there's people just, it is a different kind of life. Yeah. And it's nice to be around people who understand what your life is. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. Like the Donna boys, they're, they're my best friends, Jillian. Mm. Um, you know, I just think all the, all the comedy pals you can have, Mish, Wittrup and Lena and Annie. And yeah. I just think, y- yeah, you, you need him. Beck Petratus. Have you ever seen Beck Petratus? No, I haven't. You fucking have to see no, Beck Petratus. She's such a good storyteller and she's so weird. Yeah. She's a clown and a storyteller. She's great. Mm. She actually runs the studio. Really? Yeah. She's oh, fucking great. Man. She'll have a show this year. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but actually I think it might be called like fuck or something. Yeah, like that. right. <laughs> but she's really good and like yeah, it's just I don't know, it's that camaraderie that I think is really special and important and and if you mm. don't have it I don't know, you don't have community. Like mm. I oh, some of my best friends I only see once a year for a month in Edinburgh. Yeah. You know, Zach Zucker, I don't know if you've ever seen Stamp Town, but mm. Zach Zucker and um all those guys. Like it's just you're a family and mm. you can't really do anything about it. You just are. Mm. Who, who are the people non-comedy wise supporting you through sort of your path as a creator? Non-comedy wise? Yeah. I mean like as in like. Just friends, family. Who, who, who was it that you sort of you looked to for support during. During things. I mean obviously Tim, like my partner, yeah. but he's, you know, in the world. It usually is people in in world. Like mm. it's so rare that I go to somebody because if you go to some, you go to somebody and you're like, oh, I, I'm so tired from going to Hollywood and yeah. doing like it's like you sound like a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like you can't <laughs> complain to people who don't understand. I've got a really good group of girlfriends that's like, um, you know, all artists mm. and everyone gets it. Like everyone knows um, what life looks like for you and, yeah. and they make space for that. And I think th- probably them, like it's, it's the, it's the girls. Like yeah. I can't really go to m- my mom and say, oh, I'm stressed because I have a 12 hour shoot day. Like she just, she can't imagine what my life is no. like, no matter how many, mm. you know, you can try and show somebody, but they, people just don't know and, and they don't know what it's like to be recognized and they don't know you know, and you, you, it seems like a dream come true and it literally is. Yeah. So you sound like a real dick for not being really happy. There's some friends that I just can't really talk to about anything um, like difficult going on in my life because I feel like I would 
be being a real asshole about yeah. my perceived success. So yeah. it it can be difficult, but also like who gives a fuck? Like I get to be, I get to play, yeah. <laughs> I get to play dress ups and stuff mm. as an adult for money and yeah. it's really lovely and I get lots of free stuff and like, yeah. I can't complain. Like if yeah. I can't whinge about it to my friends, like who fucking cares? Like get over it. <laughs> I, I was listening to you on a podcast recently um, in preparation for this and you said that it was when you were set on fire, it was sort of comedic. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny to be on fire. Um, I've just realised actually James Lucas and Max Donovan, my beautiful friends in Sydney and my beautiful Daniel Smith who I've just started a podcast yeah. with and yes. Katie Locker, they are like my two shining lights that aren't necessarily in comedy but they're mm-hmm. so comedy adjacent, like they mm-hmm. know everything and they know mm-hmm. everyone, especially Katie and Daniel. Um, but they're my like lifeboats mm. from with from, you know, adjacent to the industry but yeah. not quite. Um, but Max was like, you know, a singer and um signed to Sony very young and like so totally understands it and James has been my best friend since I was a kid and Katie and Daniel have both worked in the arts forever so I don't know maybe that's not a good answer but those people um those people are my little life rafts uh what was your second question that you just asked me oh you were set on fire but you said it was hilarious (laughs) it was funny like (laughs) it was funny it was was funny I was just so flabbergasted when I heard that it's funny (laughs) can you imagine being on fire like can you imagine being like oh fuck I'm on fire like it's scary but then after a while it it it's like what the fuck just happened like it's it's very funny immediately after Mm. if you're someone who goes to because you know we all go to a response there's something that's more Mm. there's this um it's in one of those acts i think it's in like an actor prepares or in one of those acting books it's like talks about musicals and like why we sing and it's like because like something is just has to be because something has just happened that means that you speaking is not enough and like you're in this physiologically heightened space Mm. where you have to laugh or cry or sing and i think it's just that and often i'll go to laugh after you know people giggle nervously at like very serious or sad situations yeah it's just your brain being they're so close together mm. like crying and laughing yeah and you kind of go between both um but also it was just like a comedy of errors you know yeah like they couldn't get me off fire which was ridiculous <laughs> they it, couldn't get you off fire yeah like it was just silly like it was just like nothing was working <laughs> i yelled stop drop roll at myself and then i stopped <laughs> drop roll and that didn't work it made it worse and i was like fuck this and i was just sort of running up and down just sort of whacking at yeah. it and then my friend threw a bowl at me that was meant to be full of water but the water had come out so she just threw an empty bowl like it was just it was funny <laughs> it's funny like it, it hurts and it sucks yeah. but it's fucking funny <laughs> did did it hurt mm yeah. Yes. Do you? What, <laughs> yes, it hurts. <laughs> how can you describe that pain? Like, what is it like being set on fire? Well, you don't feel anything when you're on fire. Yeah. That doesn't feel anything mm. because it's the you, after effects. It's after. Yeah. You. I had third degree burn, so I had no nerves yeah. left. Like, there's nothing. Mm. Skin's gone. Um. So, it's around the burns that you feel. Like, if you've ever had, ever had a bad burn, yeah, it just feels like that on the outside of the burn because that's yeah. where you have your second mm. and first degree burns, mm. um, and those still have you know nerve endings and skin, so where you can feel it. Whereas the inside, it just kind of feels like achy and and weird. The most f- painful part of it, the worst part, is really the recovery lying in a hospital bed for a long time, not Mm. being able to move, not being able to go to the bathroom, not being able to like bend my legs or Mm. it's so uncomfortable. Like, you know, at least you're lying down, but you can't to not be able to like bend your legs to sort of push yourself up on the bed is really, really annoying and really uncomfortable. And I was in a cast for a long time and the the most pain comes from the donor site when they do skin grafts. So Mm -hmm. they do like, um, they shave like a bunch of skin mm. and they stretch it out and they put it somewhere else um, and that fucking hurts. Like yeah. it bleeds for so long. It's like a really bad, like the worst graze you've ever had, I guess. Yeah. And I was also on a lot of painkillers but it's so painful and it's yeah. so itchy because you're like, you know, when you're healing and it's kind of itchy but like this is like mm. their skin trying to, trying to merge artificially with your mm. existing skin, which is so traumatized. Like it's, yeah. it fucking hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it really hurts. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it, it's incredibly painful. Yeah. Yeah. How long was that recovery? Uh, I mean, all up it was like a few years, but yeah. the I was only in hospital for like a month. 
Yeah. And then I had hospital at home care come and like help me with showers and stuff because I wasn't really supposed to, I was always supposed to have my leg up and I was always meant to wear this like stocking, this compression stocking for like, I think that was two years. Um, But yeah, I had this like shower stool and all of this stuff. I had no muscles in my right leg. I remember being like, oh, this is all just kind of gone. It was weird. Yeah. It was a really weird experience to have at 19 years old. Yeah, I sort of had not an experience like that, but as a child, I'm very prone to sunburn, right? Oh. And I went to a beach when I was probably about six or seven and it was the sunburn was so bad that welts Ah. were all over my, you know, arms and legs and I actually had to go to hospital. I remember that being one of the most sort of painful experiences of my my life. Yeah, Yeah, I mean it's not a dissimilar pain. Yeah. Like the... um, yeah, those welts would have been first mm. or second degree yeah. burns. Mm. Um, hopefully not second, you poor thing. But, like, you know, those are the mm. things that hurt. Those are mm. the things we associate with really bad burns and yeah. that's what's around the, you know, that's that's what's left because yeah. what's gone is, you know, the third degree burns, which means it's it's done. <laughs> Everything's gone. <laughs> Nothing left to hurt, um, which is weird. It's a weird experience. Are, are, you, are you someone who prefers the summer or the winter? Winter. Yeah. Yeah. Winter but sunny. Yeah. It's like a, a sunny winter's day. That's right. five stars for me. Yeah. yeah. I like autumn because you get lots of those. I don't know. I think like, yeah, like it it, it really depends. I love, um, I love Edinburgh in August. Mm. I love like kind of windy but you'll get sun most days. You'll get rain most days. I, I don't know. I like a bit of everything but if I do get like, seasonal affective disorder maybe i don't know well i just get a bit depressed when it's like too dark yeah i don't like not having natural light but i don't really mind when it's cold because you can get warm as long as i'm physically Mm. able to get warm i'm fine but if it's like summer and it's just like today oh yeah disgusting i know it's it's unbearable. Uh, yeah. Like you can't fix it. You can't escape it. You can't adjust. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't know if like me getting sunburn when I was five or six is like now that was sort of the um, reason why I don't like summer now. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it was. Could yeah. be. Probably. Yeah. 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 Do you wear sunscreen every day? Uh, no, I'm really bad at it. You should wear sunscreen every day. I should, right? Especially yeah. on your face. Yeah, I know. And your hands. I know. I get red really easily. What the hell? I, know. I wear sunscreen every day. I have olive skin. Uh, yeah. You're crazy. I know. Come on. I I've know. never been sunburnt. Well, maybe once. Yeah, I've never been like pink. Mm. So I always forget, like, even if it's not a really hot day and the sun's not out that, not, not really out, like, I still mm. get sunburnt. Yeah. That UV baby, we're in yeah. Australia. Yeah, I know. Mm. Um, so what's up next for you? Um, well, my book comes out in September, yep. which is really exciting. I have a show called Songs With My Friends, which is on in... The Malt House. Yeah, at the Malt House. And that's on, yeah, very soon, Um, which is so exciting because it's just nice. I just get to be like, all right, these are my friends. These are some songs that we're going to sing. And I'm reading stories from my book about friendship, um, which is really nice. It's nice to share from my book. I love my Mm. book, um, which is available for pre-order. And then um, Daniel and I are going to start season two of our podcast, which is really exciting, um, Cultural Exchange. And then... I'm starting another podcast, with, um, which is uh, sort of adjacent to all the average bear stuff. It's called yeah. Once More Around the Sun. And it's about um, if you found out you had a year to live, how would you spend that year? Mm. So I'm I'm busy. And then I go to New York and I do Average Bear Off Broadway. Mm. And then I come back and I it's a comedy festival. And then I go to the UK for a UK tour. And then I do Edinburgh. And then I my book comes out and then I will have a sleep in October. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know um, in Average Bear you more or less say you live life to the fullest because mm. because of the experiences that you've gone through and the loss you've experienced and um, you, you don't take this for granted, which no. I think too many people probably just take things for granted if they haven't had those lived experiences. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean it's easy to get annoyed about the little things if that's all you've ever been annoyed about. Yeah. Um, which is great. Like, good for them. Mm. Whenever I meet someone who's, like, pissed off about, like, I don't know, something's wrong with their order at, like, a cafe, I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, good for you. Like, this rules. Your life is obviously fucking awesome. Like yeah. The fact that you've woke, 
you know, you've woke up today is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Treat yourself. Yeah. Treat yourself to living, babe. <laughs> <laughs> so so what are the words of wisdom you live by? Um, shut the fuck up and have fun, which is what Tim always says to me when I'm worried about a show. That's he, Yeah. I find it really helpful. Do you worry much before shows? Sometimes if I'm doing a show and I like, haven't had enough time to rehearse and I go like, cause I'm always doing like three shows at once. Mm. So like when we were doing Average Bear at um, Sydney Theatre Company with f- a fucking string section and all this beautiful stuff. Yeah. And I had all these people in the audience that were like, you know, invited fancy guests. And I was like, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. Don't forget. Like I get scared. I'm going to forget things. Um, so I'm like trying to think, think of things and he'll just be like, shut the fuck up and have fun and he's right because like if I just get if I get lost if I'm having fun it doesn't matter but like you can tell if I'm not having fun and if I'm not having fun the audience isn't having fun so it's just my job to enjoy my time yeah I love that thank you so much for coming in thanks Uh, for having me I felt so guilty today because I came to the studio today and there's like a big thing happening downstairs yeah I think they're shooting like a music video yeah and there's like some music coming coming up from downstairs Mm. as well and you couldn't find a park so I felt so (laughs) guilty I'm like oh Oh my god I can't find a my life is so hard. I know, I know, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. And I have to just say, yeah, love love your work. Thanks. I loved Australian Epic as Thanks. well. Thanks. I'm glad you um, loved it. Can't wait to see what, you know, you do next. Can't wait for the book. I loved having you on here. Thanks. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. And your appearance on Thank God You're Here as well. Amazing. Oh, thank you. You know, I was very nervous yeah. about that. I actually got um, one of the cast members from Thank God You're Here coming in uh, at two. Oh, great. Riley. Oh, that's so nice. That'll be interesting. That'll be a great chat. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 